Well, good morning. Labor Day weekend, is it going well for you? Pretty good. Someone said, yeah, one person. Going well for one person in here. A little extra, everybody's getting ready to go back to school, all sorts of fun stuff that we've got. Well, a lot of people kind of squeeze in this last weekend, you know, to go and camp and do this and do that. And I say, hey, I, let's get together. Let's get together. Let's worship together. Let's sing these awesome songs. Thank you, Kyle. Thank the worship team. Did you see them? It's just such a uplifting music. I love it. Love focusing on the Lord. And you know, I was um, I was uh, reminiscing a little bit about a, a wedding that uh, Jill and I went to a couple years ago. And uh, this was a young couple, young Christian couple. The, the the husband, the new husband, had just graduated from seminary. And I remember the the preacher that was doing the wedding. He said, um, he said, you know, God is going to do great things through this couple. And you know, I'm years down the road in ministry and have my wife sitting next to me. And I was thinking about stuff that God has done in our lives, and I was just thinking, I wonder what God is going to do with this new couple. I wonder, wonder, what, wonder what great things God is going to do. And then, as is the case often with me, I'll ponder it a little more, and I'll think, well, why does God have to do great things? I mean, why? why what, what obligates God to do anything great in that couple or in any couple, you know? Um, here school's kind of getting started again. People are going off to college, and there's a lot of different college campus ministries out there. One of the most famous is called Crew. It used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ. Now they call themselves Crew. And one of the lines that they'll tell college students is, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And, okay, that's great, but, like, what what defines a wonderful plan? Like, like what... What does that mean exactly, a wonderful plan? Because the reality is God does have a calling on your life and on my life. God does want to do great things through us. He has a mission for his church, for his people. He has a mission for us. And Jesus laid that mission out right before he went up into heaven. Remember the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples right before he went up into heaven? Well, go with me if you have a Bible handy. If you don't, that's fine. I'll have the scriptures up here. But in, in, um, in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, this is what our mission is. He gave it to his disciples then and he gives it to us now. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. In other words, you will testify to the world about me, God says. That you will uh, tell the world uh, what he's all about. That, that you'll help people in our world uh, get away from the lies that they believe and help them to walk in the truth. That God saves us, God saves you and me, yes, so that we can have a deep and profound and personal relationship with him, absolutely. But he also saves us so that we will be a part of his mission. He saves us so that we will be his witnesses in our world, so that we might carry out his will and his plan for our world. 
Now, why do we get to do this? I mean, why? I mean, God is God, right? I mean, he's the God of the universe. He, he can work in profound and amazing ways to, to carry out his will in the world, um, to do his work in the world. Uh, he can reveal himself in any way that he wants to reveal himself because he's God. He doesn't really need us. He doesn't need us. I mean, we're just kind of common folk, you know? <laughs> we're just everyday people. Why would God call us to carry out his mission. So Holy Spirit is upon us. You will be my witnesses. Why does he call us out? Why does he call us to this mission? Well, we're in this series entitled God at Work. It's a study through Romans 9, 10, and 11. Three of probably the most challenging chapters in the New Testament to understand and to work through. And so as we're working through this series, I have invited you to text your questions to me while I'm preaching. So here's the number to text to, 923-20-121. And as I said last hour, if we can just have some time at the end, I'll answer all the questions that I possibly can get to. And any that I don't answer, uh, I will uh, go on Facebook. I'll do a video response to all your questions and make sure we get them out on Facebook. And we'll also put a link on our website. So as I'm preaching, you might have some questions for me as I'm preaching. And you just go ahead and, and text those questions. Last hour, I said the very same thing I just said to you. And I totally spaced out. I never answered questions at the end. So you hold my feet to the fire at the end. If I'm starting to walk out, you go, hey, you've you got to answer some questions, okay? But uh, I'll try to remember this time. So... Um, so it is true. God is at work, and he wants to work through his church in the world. He wants to shine his light in the world. He wants us to shine his light in the world. That's what actually Jesus said. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, it says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, hide it under a bushel, no. You know, we're supposed to shine the light of the Lord in our world today. So the question that I want to pose or what I want to answer is why we get to have this mission? Why, why do we get to have this mission that God has called us to? And secondly, what ought to be our motivation for carrying out this mission? Like, what should motivate us? What should be the fire in us that pushes us in this direction? And then finally, we're going to uh, tackle how we can stay effective in this mission that God has called us to um, as we dive into the next section of the book of Romans. We happen to be in Romans chapter 11 now. Chapter 11 is a very challenging chapter, but hopefully the section that we're going to be diving into will make these things clear to us, okay? So first let's talk about why do we have this mission. The church has a mission from God because of Israel's hard heart. We have the mission. We in this generation that we live in have this mission because of Israel's hard heart. Now, all throughout history, all throughout God's work through the world, different eras, different periods of history, uh, God uh, had the nation of Israel who was called by him to shine his light among the nations. 
to be the ones who is that city on a hill, to be the ones who, who proclaim his truth. But this went to their heads, and they kind of got puffed up on it. Um, they started trusting in themselves rather than trusting in the Lord. And so the next section of Romans chapter 11, Paul lays out the results of this hard-heartedness of the Israelites. We are now at Romans chapter 11 and verse 7. Paul writes these words. He says, what then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. In other words, God sort of, they were like sleeping at the wheel when God was calling on them. Eyes to see not and ears to hear not down to this very day. Oh, by the way, in verse 8 there, he's quoting out of Deuteronomy 29 and verse 4. Deuteronomy 29, um, let me just give you a little bit of Israel's history. In Deuteronomy 29, the Israelites had just been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. This massive amount of people wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're about ready to cross the Jordan River and go on into the promised land that God had promised to them. Now, now get this, when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. Imagine having the same clothes for 40 years. Their sandals didn't wear out. And as they were going along in the wilderness, uh, they would come upon nations that would come up against them, and God gave them victory over the nations. They would attack, but Israel would always win. They, they had manna that would fall from heaven at night. It was like flaky snow stuff on the surface of the ground. All you had to do is just gather up what you needed for that day, and it gave you all your nutrition. It gave you everything that you needed. Um, they had a, a, a fire at night that would, God would lead them by fire at night, a cloud of fire, and, and then in the day it would be a cloud. He would lead them during the day. I mean, God just was extremely generous to them, uh, taking care of them, and, and yet... Um, they didn't get it. God was blessing them and blessing them and blessing them, and their hearts just became hardened against him. So God gave them over to a spirit of stupor uh, where their eyes don't see and their ears don't hear. They turned their back. They hardened their hearts against God. And, I, and then Paul lays out two reasons, I believe, what he's saying, two reasons why their hearts became hardened. The first one is this. Having too much, having an abundance. I mean, God was taking care of them in the wilderness. And then Paul fast forwards to the time when Israel was in its glory days, in its heydays, when everything was going so well. King David wrote uh, these words that Paul quotes here in, uh, in verse 9. Notice what it says. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Now, when you think of their table, let their table become a stumbling block. What do you think of when you think of a table? Of course, you think of a feast. You think of a bountiful meal. Um, uh, David was referring to their, their wealth. I mean, who needs God when you're rich, right? Jesus even said it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, or it's harder, it's, it's easier, I should say, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Who needs God when everything's going so well? God was generous with Israel, and they lost their focus. You know, sometimes I, I feel the same way about Christians in America today. I mean, we, we have 
so much. We have so much wealth, so much, so much bounty. Uh, you know, I hope it's not a stumbling block for us as we carry out God's mission in our time. Well, the opposite uh, can be true of causing a hardened heart. Not only wealth can cause that, but, but having struggles can cause us to have a hard heart against God. And I think that's where Paul turns to here in verse 10. Notice what he writes in verse 10. He says, let their eyes be darkened to see not and, the, and bend their backs forever. By the way, this is a, a quote out of uh, Psalm 69 in verse 23. Uh, notice that last sentence, and bend their backs forever. This, this is actually, when, when you see Old Testament verses quoted in the New Testament, normally, I almost, I, I didn't do research on this, but I'm pretty sure it's like 100% of the time. If it's not 100%, it's way up there. Uh, the New Testament authors quote from what's called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And uh, that's what Paul was doing. He's quoting from the Septuagint, but our English translations go all the way back to um, the Hebrew language, the original language of the Old Testament. And if you go back to Psalm 69 and verse 23, and you look at that last sentence where it says, and bend their backs forever, you'll see in our English translation from the Hebrew, the original language, it says, and make their loins shake continually. Make their loins shake continually. Any of you uh, like to lift weights, kind of a, you know, stay in shape, you know, make sure that the muscle mass doesn't get down there? Okay, we got one. We got one. We got two. Perfect. Okay, so you two in the audience, you know what I'm talking about. No, when you lift weights, right, I mean, it's it's like... Um, you can lift light weights, and it's fine. It feels kind of good to kind of get the muscles moving and stuff. But have you ever tried to lift, like, real heavy weights, you know? Like, okay, I'm going to try for my personal best. I'm going to try to, you know, bench this as much as I possibly can. And so you lay down on the bench, and you get those weights down off the rack, and you're going down. And as you're going up, what happens? You go like this. You just start shaking under the weight of the weights, or you work out really slowly. If you move your muscles really slowly, they can start to shake under the weight. And really, that's the imagery that the psalmist, David, actually paints here. The shaking of the loins. It's that life can be such a heavy weight that it's like shaking when you're trying to lift real heavy weights. You know, Life can get really, really heavy for us. Like a couple of weeks ago, I got a call from a really good friend of mine, a mentor of mine since college. I still stay in touch with him. And he was telling me how his daughter, 40-year-old daughter, is battling stage 4 cancer. Husband, three young kids. And I could hear it in his voice. <laughs> Even a bit of the shakiness in his voice communicated that whole family is under a heavy weight. I was talking to a relative of mine I, I, love, I love dearly, sharing how, they were sharing how they have financial struggles, real financial struggles. And you can feel the weight of it in the conversation. You feel the weight of life as they try to figure this out. 
How about you? You got any heavy weight of life? Maybe to the point where you feel deep down in your heart, it's like my loins are continually shaking. It's so heavy. Bending their back from the weight of life. A common reaction to a hard life is to get angry with God or to blame God. Many turn their backs on God when life is hard or ignore Him or say, if, that, if, if, if God is good and this is happening, I don't, I don't want any part of Him. Or I can fix it on my own. I don't, I don't need any help. You know, either way, like the Israelites, we can harden our hearts against God, whether if it's wealth or struggles or whatever it is. But God has a calling on our lives, and His calling on our lives is that we don't harden our hearts, that we don't get hard against Him, that we're all in on carrying out His mission in our world. And in order to do that, the church has to be driven by love. We've got to be driven by love. Look at Paul's compassion for his fellow countrymen, the Israelites, as he continues to make the case here. Chapter 11 and verse 11. He says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Meaning they didn't get to utter total and complete spiritual ruin, did they? Like there's no turning back. And he answers it strongly. May it never be. But by their transgression, their, their hardening of their hearts, their, their turning away from God, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will, the, will, will their fulfillment be? Their, their hardened hearts is has opened up the door that we can be a part of God's mission now, that, that it's now a, a, a riches for the Gentiles to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Verse 13, but I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. You can see his heart. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Can't you feel it in Paul's heart? He loves them. He longs for them. You have anybody in your life that you long to come to the Lord? You long for them to be a part of God's mission, that you long for them to come out of their lies and walk in the truth. You know of anybody like that? And yet it seems as if, try as you might, what's, what's it going to take, you know? It just seems like they just won't turn toward the Lord. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a horse I rode once, actually. Back in college, uh, a, a group of us, I was leading a missions trip down to Kentucky. We were going to this Christian camp, and uh, we were helping to repair the buildings. I remember re-roofing one of their big, huge buildings, and, um, 
and they had horses at this camp, at this Christian camp. We helped out with some of the campers that were coming. It was really a fun little short-term missions trip we were doing. And now one evening, all, the, all of us in our missions team that went down there decided that we wanted to go on a horseback ride. And we asked one of the leaders uh, that worked at the camp, could we go horseback ride? And they're like, sure, no problem. So we go out by all the horses, and the guy says, uh, oh, I, it doesn't look like there's enough horses for everybody to ride. And uh, I think there were like seven of us there, and I do a count. I'm like, well, there, there are seven horses, seven of us. What, what do you mean there's not enough horses to ride? And he says, well, that one over there, it's hard to ride. I said, well, what, what, what's the issue? That horse never walks forward. It always walks backwards. I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, no, I'm serious. It, it never walks forward. You can't get that horse to walk forward when you're on it. I said, but I mean, it, you can put a saddle on it and stuff. They're like, oh yeah, you can put a saddle on it. It's fine that way, but it just won't, won't behave. It just walks backwards all the time. So then my, you know, I grew up on a small farm. We had two horses. My, uh, you know, I think I could probably handle it. I think maybe I can get this horse to walk forwards. I mean, you know, I'll show him who's boss, that kind of a feeling. And I said, well, why don't you saddle him up? I'll give him a try. And, uh, and we'll do, do it that way. So we saddle up all the horses, and uh, everybody hopped up on their horses, and I get up on mine. And no doubt, I mean, I'm not kidding you, as soon as I sat in the saddle, the horse starts. And so I pull back on the reins a little bit, and, and uh, you know, it stopped, which is interesting, because if you want a horse to walk backwards, you pull back kind of hard on the reins. That's how you get a horse to walk backwards. But as this horse is walking backwards a little, you know, whoa, whoa, boy. He, he would stop for me. So everybody, I'm like, you, you guys go. I'll catch up. I'll try to catch up. You know, I'll see if I can't get this horse to go forward. So, uh, so you know, I'm like, okay, I'm taking charge of this horse. You know, I'm, in, I'm, I'm the human. It's the horse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one in charge here. So I give him a good kick in the side, and he's walking backwards. And so I pull on the reins. I'm like, oh, that didn't work, you know. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to kick him, and then I'm going to turn him. Maybe if I turn him, you know, that'll work. So I kick him, and I turn him to the right. And then I try to turn him to the left, you know, and he's just, he doesn't give up. He's walking backwards. I tried this. I tried that. This horse would not walk forward. So as I'm working hard, I'm, I'm about ready to give up, you know, whatever. This horse is stubborn. It's going to do its own thing. As I'm in the middle of this, I realize I look back about, I don't know, 15 yards behind us, and there's the electric fence. <laughs> and a light bulb goes on. I know what I'm going to do. Come on, boy. Get closer, getting closer. I'm thinking to myself, boy, I hope this saddle has some insulation. <laughs> he walks right back into that electric fence. Pow! 5,000 volts of energy surged through the horse, surged through me a little bit, but boom, we take off forwards. Ha, ha, ha. Ha-ha, we got this. I'm riding them. Woohoo! You know, I'm like, come on, boy, keep going. We caught up to everybody. We actually passed everybody. I'm, whoa, boy, whoa. He's like going, going, going. I finally get him under control. Seriously, walked forward the rest of the time. That's right. I got him to go forward. Actually, I didn't get him to go forward. The jolt in the electric fence got him to go forward. 
When we think of people who, boy, you know, spiritually speaking, we so long for them to go forward. But as we see what's happening and the choices that they're making, it's like all they want to do is walk backwards. All they want to do is just not go forward toward the Lord, not go forward toward his will, but, but they just want to walk backwards all the time. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was feeling with his fellow countrymen. It's like, really, come on, go the way that God wants you to go. Paul never gave up. He nudged. He prodded. He tried to turn them right, tried to turn them left. We nudge, we prod, we try to coax people or woo them in one direction or another. But the honest truth is we'll never know when the Lord by his Spirit will finally jolt them into the right direction. Might, might not be a, an actual like shocker, but don't give up. Don't give up on people. One day, you just might see that they're going forward toward God. They're going forward to walk according to his will. Be driven, not getting hard-hearted against them. Keep loving them. Keep loving people. And when we're moving forward towards God's will for our lives, let's talk about how we can keep being effective on this mission. How do we keep being effective on this mission that God has called us to? Because, you know, it can kind of get, you know, old, or we can kind of end up sort of feeling like it's dry, like it's kind of lost its zing, you know? I think this text will lay out five ways in which we can stay effective. First of all, we need to stay rooted. Stay rooted in our faith. Notice what Paul writes here in verse 16. He says, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive were gathered in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. So here we have wild olives and the olive tree. So let me explain. Wild olive branches, um, the way that they came about was um, olive trees grow. Of course, it's kind of an arid uh, environment, and it's rocky soil, and their roots go out. And then as the roots go out of an olive tree, a wonderful olive tree, they'll sprout up like little shrubs off the roots. The roots will kind of grow out of the ground, and they'll have like this shrubby bush type of looking thing. This is what the wild olive is. And I can tell you that uh, never does a person who's working with olive trees ever take a wild, wild olive branch and try to graft it into the olive tree. If you try to graft a wild olive branch into the olive tree, it's actually not going to make the olive tree better. It's going to make it worse. Now, olive trees take like 10 years to finally start producing enough fruit, you know, to, uh, to be healthy. And um, these wild olive branches and bushes, if you were to graft them in, it would just be detrimental to that process. But what Paul is highlighting here is that these wild olive branches, that, that, that these wild olive bushes, they were con they're connected to the roots. The same roots that are bringing nutrition to the olive tree are bringing nutrition to the wild olives. Um, the church, the church today hasn't been grafted into Israel like that now we've replaced, you know, the Jews. That, that's not what Paul's point is here. 
What Paul's point is, is that we as Christians have a heritage that has the same roots as the Israelites have. Those roots go deep, and as a wild olive branch, we're not the olive tree, but we are like the wild olives, and and we are connected to the exact same roots. That our roots go back to Abraham and to Moses and to David and to the prophets and even to Jesus himself. He, He was a Jew, and what Paul was saying is, don't forget our roots. Don't forget where we came from. Don't forget what we're built upon. Don't forget that we are a link in a long chain that goes way, way back. As a church, we want to be relevant. I mean, you know, we want to be cutting edge. We want to make sure that we're, you know, uh, reaching our generation for Jesus. To do this well, we have to respect the generations who have carried the torch before us. We've got to realize that we're building on the shoulders of the giants that have gone ahead of us. If we want to do well with our mission, if we want to be effective, we must stay rooted. Now, secondly, we must stay humble. We must stay humble. Look at verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. You'll say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. You see that? Don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited. As a pastor, I have conversations every single week with people. um, And so often, I think it's hard for people as I'm talking with them uh, to be honest about their weaknesses, to be truthful about their shortcomings, um, to be open about their glitches, their skips in their own record. I'm convinced that one way that we hide our insecurities is by being arrogant or by being conceited. God wants us to stay humble. And the way that we stay humble is when we are open and honest and share about our weaknesses. As a matter of fact, uh, that's why we have our character development class, which is starting up here in just a week or two. That's why we do journey classes. It's because we all tend to struggle to be honest about how we don't have it all together. If we want to be effective in this mission that God has for us, if we want to shine bright for him, we must be open and honest about our weaknesses. In other words, we don't put on airs, you know. We don't put on this appearance like we have it all together because we don't. (laughs) If we want to be effective in this mission that God has called us to, we must stay humble. Well, third, we must also stay faithful. We have to stay faithful. Did you pick that up in verse 20? Look at what I have highlighted here on the screen. Uh, But stand by your faith. Be steadfast in your faith. Don't drift. Don't neglect our faith. Don't neglect this relationship that we have with the Lord. We must invest in it. And we here at Faith Church do this through what we call the growth pathway. That if we're going to invest in our 
Christianity, invest in our relationship with the Lord, then there's a path that we should stay on. And it really has four signs that say, okay, I'm on the path. And it's connect, serve, grow, go. Connect, serve, grow, go. So let's take the connect and grow. We have home discipleship groups, HDGs. Um, We believe that discipleship happens in relationships. And our primary way in which we build relationships with one another is through our HDGs. And uh, over the summer, a lot of our HDGs sort of took a break, which is normal for our HDGs. But now, now that we're heading into the fall, uh, many of you, all of your HDGs, I hope, are firing back up. And I hope the HDG leaders, if they haven't already gotten a hold of you, that they're getting a hold of you, and we can kind of get rolling again here so that we can invest in our relationships with one another and invest in our relationships with the Lord. So be involved. Get, get connected and get on a path of growth. We talked about Serve Sunday. Serving is a way that we grow in this relationship. And Serve September is a great month to get this rolling, you know. And there's other ways to serve. Kyle always says every Sunday morning, hey, there's a lot of different ways that you can get plugged in, that you can get serving the Lord in this church family. Not just to serve, but to grow and invest in your relationship with the Lord. We need to stay faithful by investing in this faith that we have. we got to stay on the path, the growth pathway, to stay effective. Well, fourth, um, we must stay reverent. You know what that word reverent mean? Having reverence for something? Look at, at the end of verse 20, those first two words. But fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. But fear. Have reverence. You know, in the many years that I have been in ministry, um, I've noticed something in the church in America. It seems to me like the light that the church has in our country continues to dim. It doesn't feel like we have as much of an impact on our society as we used to have many years ago. And I ask the Lord often, Lord, why, why, why is that? And I wonder sometimes if it's, maybe we've lost a bit of fear for the Lord, a reverence for Him. Uh, fear, when you think of fear, I'm, I'm not talking about a fear that uh, a slave would have with a harsh master, you know. I'm not talking about a fear that a prisoner would have when they stand before a torturer. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. When I talk about fear, the kind of fear that's listed here is is more like the fear of a child that a child would have for a respected parent. This this child who deeply honors their parent. Not not a fear of abuse or a fear of harsh punishment from a parent, but this respect because they don't want to displease the one who is the source of their security and love. That's the kind of fear, this sense of awe the sense of respect, the sense of adoration. That's the kind of fear that we must not lose for God if we want to stay effective in this mission that he calls us to. Well, finally, we have to stay close. We have to stay close to the one who is so, so good to us. Notice verse 22. Behold, then, the kindness and severity of God 
to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. See that uh, staying close? If you continue in his kindness. There was a really good baseball player. His name was Pudge Peterson. Maybe you've never heard of Pudge Peterson because uh, just this past week I made up the name. So Pudge Peterson, he was a, he was a great baseball player, and uh, he was playing on some great baseball team, and he gets up to the batter's box, and the third base coach gives him the sign. You know, he, he gives him this. which means bunt. Pudge is up at the plate. He looks over, gives the coach a wink, and then the pitch comes in. He swings for the fences. The third base coach is like, wait, well, did he not get this? Hey. Pudges at the plate and he says, gets up there, the pitch comes in, strike two. Oh, the third base coach, he is like beside himself. Does this guy not know what the bunt sign is? And so he does it again. Pudges over there. Pitch comes in, strike three. What is going on? Well, later in the locker room, the third base coach is fine. Pudge, where's Pudge? Pudge, where are you? I'm right over here, coach, right over here. Pudge, excuse me, do you know what sign I was giving you there? Yeah, yeah, coach, you were giving me the bunt sign. Well, why were you swinging? Well, coach, I wanted to hit a home run. I, I get, okay, that's fine, but I told you to bunt. You were supposed to bunt. I know, coach, but I, I thought this was the time I'm going to hit a home run. Well, do you realize what happened? Well, sure I realize what happened. Yeah, you struck out. Yeah, coach, I know. I know I struck out. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I don't want sorry. You're out. Yeah, yeah, coach, yeah, I know. I know I, w- I was out. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not understanding me. You're out. You're off the team. Pudge Peterson was kicked off the team because he didn't obey the sign that the coach gave him. <laughs> now, Pudge Peterson, he was a good baseball player. He didn't stop being a baseball player. He just wasn't on the team anymore. You notice what it says here at the end of Romans eleven twenty two. Notice you got to continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. To be cut off doesn't mean you're no longer going to be a Christian. To be cut off doesn't mean you're no longer going to be a child. It means God is going to cut us off from being a part of the team that he wants to use to carry out his mission in this world. Carry out his great commission to tell the lost about him, to help people understand what lies they believe and shine the light of truth into their world, to move people closer and closer to the Lord Jesus, 
to share about how Christ died for them and rose from the grave to give them eternal life. If we want to be a part of the team, then we've got to continue in his kindness. Stay close to the Lord. Staying close to the Lord means we would say to him, whatever you say, coach, I'm going to do it with all that I have. But here's what God is saying to us. He's saying, I have a mission for you, a wonderful plan for my church. I have a wonderful plan for Faith Church. Here in East Central Wisconsin, he's saying to us, listen, I want you to go and invite people into a relationship with my son Jesus. And I want every one of you to then walk with one another in this relationship, pointing each other to my son Jesus so that we together can become devoted followers after him. He's given us this mission, not because we deserve it, but because of his goodness toward us. He's given us this mission because he's grafted us in to being a part of his eternal plan. He loves us so much that he is allowing us to make a splash for him that will ripple throughout all eternity. And therefore, he's calling us today to jump in with both feet and say, Coach, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want to be a part of your mission. I want to shine your light brightly in this world. Are you ready? Now that we're getting into the fall, to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem or maybe a little further out in our Judea and Samaria, maybe wherever he might take us to the remotest parts of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for allowing us, for calling us to shine your light in the world. You don't need us, but it's by your choice that you want to use us. And so we're grateful, Lord, for that. I think I speak for all of us. I think we are grateful. It's a big responsibility, but I'm reminded again of where we started, that your Holy Spirit will come upon us, and in that will be your witnesses. So by your Holy Spirit's power, Lord, as we head on into the fall here, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to shine your light in East Central Wisconsin. You'll help us to invite people into a relationship with you. You'll help us become devoted followers after you. That, Lord, we'll live for your eternity and not for just our own lives. We'll commit ourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll commit ourselves to proclaiming his name in our world today. We'll commit ourselves, Lord, to being your church, the place where you want to carry out your mission in this world. We surrender our lives to you now, Lord, and we pray this, Lord Jesus, for your glory. And all of God's people say, amen.